in case you missed it on Newsbreak. Good day and welcome to Newsbreak Talk. I'm Talisha Naidu, standing in for Taresh Haripashan today. And we're talking, yes, again about COVID-19. It is a big talking point because it is, I guess, our new normal. And we'll be discussing that today with our specialist physician, that's Professor Morgan Chetty. We'll be going more into some of those comorbidities. And if you don't know what that is, that is some of the coexisting conditions that come along with being tested positive for COVID-19. So if you're a diabetic, if you suffer from hypertension, even if you are HIV positive, those are comorbidities. We'll be talking more about that with Professor Morgan Chetty in the program. We'll be also going through some of the top stories that come through from the week regarding uh, COVID-19 and South Africa as a whole in our politics, in our economy. So we'll be delving into all of those in the program today. We'd love for you to engage with us. Let us know what you think of these top stories. And if you are also, uh, if you have any pre-existing conditions and you're uh, afraid of COVID-19 because you may stand at a higher risk of contracting this because of that coexist uh, existing condition let us know your views on the 0716137803 so we'll have a line of questions ready for uh, professor morgan chetty when we do get him on the line to discuss this later on in the program remember 0716137803 is the number to send us a message or even a voice note if you have questions we'd love to know more about this this is newsbreak talk i'm talisha naido stay tuned Coming up, we're going to have lots more to discuss about COVID-19 and comorbidities. News break. Lotus FM, powered by SABC News. So let's go to some of the top stories that's been coming through this week. And the first would be that the Congress of the People is calling on opposition parties and religious leaders, as well as other sectors of society, to unite in the fight against further looting of the COVID-19 relief fund. Now, the UDM says it's not surprised by what it calls institutionalized corruption. Different sectors of society have already made their voices heard, calling for action as our parliamentary correspondent Mercedes Besant tells us more. These latest calls for action follows the scandal involving President Cyril Ramaphosa's spokesperson, Kusela Diko's husband, King Matsigani Diko. The company in which the presidential spokesperson's husband is a director, Bata Royal Projects, was awarded a tender by Gauteng's health department for the provision of personal protective equipment. This scandal also saw health MEC Bandile Masuku being placed under temporary leave to allow the investigation to continue. Masuku's wife, Loiso, is also implicated in the tender scandal. COPE National Spokesperson Dennis Bloom says this is a tip of the iceberg. This COVID-19 PPE looting is happening in all the provinces. COPE is saying the solution to stop this corruption is for all opposition parties, civil society organizations, community-based organizations, and faith-based organizations to come together and work together to save our country from further destruction. United Democratic Movement leader Bantu Holomisa says the looting of COVID-19 funds does not come as a surprise because corruption is currently institutionalized. Given that uh, the comrades in corruption have been looting the resources of this country with impunity, this institutionalized corruption has even compromised the institutions of this country, such as law enforcement agencies. Those law enforcement agencies may appear toothless because in the first instance, these are cadres which have been deployed from the same party a party which claims to have liberated us, but we are still yet to enjoy the fruits of that liberation. Various sectors of society have also spoken out against the alleged looting of COVID-19 funds. These include the South African Council of Churches. The Anglican Church has also supported the call made by the Council of Churches for action to be taken. Archbishop Tabo Makhoba. 
The Anglican Church of Southern Africa, as a signatory to the SACC, endorses the statement that the SACC has issued, uh, calling for an expeditious uh, investigation into those that have allegedly stolen from the poor the COVID-19 funds. We are saddened and we are pained that in the midst of a pandemic, people see it fit to steal the covid uh, money. We pray that the president and cabinet and the leadership uh, will set uh, an example. We also, as the Anglican Church, pray, as I have said in my sermon, that we shouldn't forget that those that are corrupt should face the might of the law. And as I've previously termed it, they should wear orange overalls. They should be investigated, they should be charged, and they should serve, including retaining the money that belongs to the poorest of the poor. The Anglican Archbishop says despite all these allegations of corruption, the country should not move away from focusing on its hope to find a miracle against COVID-19. Also, in the midst of this uh, dark cloud of corruption, we should not abandon hope, we should not let those that still create an atmosphere of powerlessness, of more anxiety, and of turning into each other. We should maintain inspiration and hope, focusing on the task of inspiring the nation and of funding a cure and a vaccine for COVID-19. Even this will come to pass. Meanwhile, Gauteng Premier David Makura told the media a few days ago that the 125 million rand tender is the biggest financial scandal his government has ever faced since he became Premier in 2014. In the period of six years, we have had, yes, incidents, cases of corruption in this department, in that department, but we would, we haven't had a, at a grand scale of the allegations we are facing with PPE now. And I want to explain the reason is because the open tender system was a proactive measure. And Amabatka King Diko, who said the center of the scandal, said he went ahead with a controversial contract with the Gauteng Health Department against the advice of his wife, Kusela. He says it is unfortunate that his wife and others have to bear the brunt of the multi-million run PPE tender saga. There is no public money that was paid to Royal Bata. I didn't consult with my wife before bidding for the contract, but after I'd gotten the contract, she was uncomfortable about it initially, and I went ahead against what she had said. And then later on, she came back and said, look, I still insist that you must not go ahead with this contract. I am in the office of the president, and then I had to consider that. And I pulled out the company. I requested that the contract must be cancelled. And that was Amabakla King Diko II, who is at the centre of the Gauteng PPE scandal, ending that report by our parliamentary correspondent, Mercedes Besant. So just another big news story to bring to you before we get to our conversation with Professor Morgan Chetty. I love the fact that we're getting many questions coming through uh, from those who have pre-existing conditions. Some of you telling us your experience of also testing positive and having a uh, pre-existing condition. So keep sending us your messages, even your voice notes, uh, voice notes, because we love uh, listening to you. And it makes a better conversation with Professor Morgan Chetty when we do get him on the line. 071-613-7803 is that number. But to more news now, the Fair Trade Independent Tobacco Association, that's FETA, has described the prohibition of the sale of tobacco products as a significant executive overreach. FITA has now taken its legal fight to the Supreme Court of Appeal to challenge the lockdown regulations banning the sale of tobacco products. The organization contends that Cooperative Governance Minister Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma has no powers to prohibit the sale of tobacco products. Mahala Masiteng reports. FITA has petitioned the SCA for leaf to appeal the High Court judgment which upheld the ban of the sale of tobacco products in the country under current lockdown regulations. In papers before the court, FITA says the ban affects health and welfare of more than 11 million smokers in the country 
and that the ban continues to have far-reaching traumatic effects on the smokers. The organization also argued that the ban has already had enormous commercial impact on the tobacco manufacturers and retailers. Accordingly, this has resulted in illicit trade of cigarettes, which has led to significant losses of tax revenue. Legal expert Lebohan Mokhele. With the application and their continued argument was that there is no medical evidence that supported the decision by the government to ban uh, the cigarette sale. And furthermore, they also contend in that indeed with a continued ban on the sale of cigarette, there are a lot of people which are, are, are losing their jobs on a daily basis and also emerging farmers which specializes in cigarettes. They are also uh, at a disadvantage because with a continued ban, indeed they would not be able to generate any income and also be able to support and 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 and, and keep on servicing the salary income of all their employees Fita says the High Court failed to consider uncontested expert medical evidence that the ban on tobacco sales has had a psychological impact on the smokers. The organization has further questioned contradicting statements by President Cyril Ramaphosa and Cooperative Governance Minister Nkosazanadla Minizuma. Initially, Ramaphosa announced that tobacco sales ban would be lifted under lesser stringent level 3 lockdown. But later, Tlaminizuma announced that it was not the case anymore. Fita says the ban is nothing but significant executive overreach. Legal expert Machini Mutlong says the SCA will strike the balance between the competing factors. The court had to really... Um, determine whether there is a, a rational link between the the purpose and the purpose in this case is that uh, the the cap of the spread of um, COVID-19 and the impact that it has on those affected as well as the means. Now the court had to decide and determine whether that rational link exists and uh, the court came to a decision that there is indeed a rational link between the two but of importance as well is the judicial deference principle which the court uh, applied in this case the sale of cigarettes in the country has been banned since the start of the lockdown in late march with government citing health reasons Fita contends that there is no evidence that the ban on the sale of tobacco products alleviates the burden on the healthcare system. Government is yet to file its opposing papers with the SCA. I'm in Bloemfontein. A few messages coming through uh, regarding some of the top stories. Rambo Modli saying, uh, stealing from the COVID-19 fund is embarrassing and a very bitter pill to swallow. Whoever does it must be found guilty and put in prison without any bail being given. And a voice note coming through uh, today. This one coming through from uh, Louis Pillay, who's uh, sent us some of his views on the topic that we will be discussing on talk today. Good afternoon, Talisha, Louis Pillay Centurion. Yes, it's a lovely topic regarding this. I think people are more scared than anything else in South Africa. Now, every area becoming an eye risk, depending. If you take Woodview, for instance, it's a small community, but we have a lot of debts in Woodview regarding this. So it is an area that we've got to look out for. But if we protect ourselves, we're also protecting others. So I'm an iris patient as well because I've got a kidney problem. And knowing that I shouldn't be in crowds or, or any gathering. But with all that, it is a dangerous thing to have. And to go about it, I think safety is the most important thing. I think if you actually go through the rules of it, you might as well do it. Even if you go back to level five and and obey those rules, you will succeed. But looking at it on the whole, our nurses and doctors are suffering more today because they are in an iris place. Thank you, Talisha Louis Palais Centurion.
Uh, thanks so much for that voice note, Mr. Louis Pelé. Great thing that uh, you know you had raised there is just working together to protect each other, just not yourself. Uh, and it's a common phrase that's been going around. When you wear your mask, it's not just to protect you, but it's to protect someone else as well. Um, so we're going to get to some of the messages we've been receiving about this pre-existing conditions that you may have. And that's the fear that's coming through because probably the biggest fear to come out of COVID-19 and the pandemic is the fear of the unknown. Now, this is understandable because we are dealing with a virus which is largely alien to humans. But as the virus has spread around the globe, so scientists have started finding answers to their questions, one of which has become an absolute certainty. Now, joining us on the line to talk to us about some of the questions, some of the answers that we need and some of the unknown that's out there about this pandemic is a specialist family physician, Professor Morgan Chetty. Good day to you, Professor, and thank you for joining us. Good day. Thank you very much for having me on the line. It's only a pleasure. You know, we do have a WhatsApp line uh, with us in studio where we get to go through some of the questions that uh, South Africans have regarding this topic. And definitely what we've seen since the start of this program is that there is so much more information that they need about this. So I'd like to start this discussion off by just answering what a comorbidity is, because there are still many people who don't understand what that is. Now, a comorbidity is an illness that you have. Um, I'll give you an example. It'll be like diabetes, hypertension, cardiac disease, cancer. So it's some other illness that you have. And this COVID-19 um, um, illness is superimposed on a pre-existing illness that you have. Now, when you have a pre-existing illness, like what I've mentioned, it actually increases your risk of getting a more serious kind of infection from COVID. So comorbidities are your pre-existing medical conditions that you have. And the important point is, it's not just the pre-existing medical conditions, is if these conditions are not managed adequately. So you can be a diabetic, but you can be under optimal treatment, looking after yourself, doing what you should do, you don't present yourself as a major risk. Where you become a risk is, be- is when you allow your pre-existing conditions to be untreated and you don't take care of yourself. Then you increase your index of risk so that the COVID uh, infection can cause a more serious complication for you. Many scientists, professors have also placed those who suffer from uncontrolled diabetes uh, and obesity at the top of the list for, you know, the most vulnerable people when it comes to contracting COVID-19. What would you say, what are the comorbidities that put people at a higher risk of contracting severe symptoms of COVID-19? I I think it it is obesity and it is definitely uh, diabetes. Now, both these conditions, you know, for the for the average listener, can decrease your immunological response to towards the COVID. So, I'll go back to saying what I said earlier on. With diabetes, particularly, if you are controlled, it's fine. If you are uncontrolled, the uncontrolled diabetic can do it for two reasons. One is it interferes with your immunological response, and two. It's in an environment with high glucose level where viruses and bacteria can grow more. Exactly a similar explanation for obesity. Obesity is increasing the amount of fat in your body. If your BMI, your basal metabolic index is, body mass index is higher, over 35, 40, this puts you into a greater risk. And the reason for this is a number of things. One is... Obesity can interfere with the membrane between the alveoli in your lungs and the blood vessels. Also, it tends to decrease the contractility of your lungs, particularly if these patients are put into an ICU. And the third thing, if you have a lot of abdominal fat, the abdominal fat prevents your diaphragm from expanding maximally when you breathe in, so it tends to affect. So when you got the covered, it interferes with your lung, 
you want to have an optimal movement of your diaphragm in your lung so mm. that you can take in maximum amount of oxygen. So obesity has definitely been shown and a lot of work's been done with diabetes to show these are the two high comorbidities that one should be wary of. Professor, let's take, for example, um, you know, pre-existing conditions like hypertension, diabetes, asthma, uh, or even heart disease. But I have any one of those, but I have uh, an immunity which is usually very strong to fighting regular illnesses like colds and flus. Does it still put me at a high risk of contracting COVID-19? You know, certainly, any underlying condition is going to put you at a higher risk. But then we can quantify the risk. And this is not um, cast in stone. You can quantify the risk to say, if you have any co-morbidity, if you take your medicines properly, listen to your doctor, exercise adequately, make sure that you eat correctly. And if you have the co-morbidity under check, it decreases the risk to the COVID infection. It's, to summarize it, if you, are un, if you have an uncontrolled comorbidity, you're actually exposing yourself to a greater extent uh, with the infection. You know, we have so many questions that's coming through. I want to continue my discussion with you because I myself have, you know, many questions. I also want to get into uh, how do we analyze and and what do we need to do after we identify a hotspot. But I'm going to go first to our WhatsApp line just to get uh, as many questions because, you know, South Africans desperately need answers. Rina says that she is a pre-diabetic. And um, if you can please advise what precautions should she take to prevent her from getting the virus? The fact that she's pre-diabetic, it means that she is sitting in a zone in which if she doesn't manage herself optimally, she can become a diabetic. And if she becomes a diabetic, then she runs the gauntlet of having to decrease uh, immunity and others. So if you're a pre-diabetic, I think it's important that you do certain essential things. One is eat correctly, decrease fatty, oily food, cut down the amount of sugar intake in your body, and I'm going to say it over and over again, you need to exercise. You don't have to go run a comrade's marathon, but you need at least to walk around, make sure you metabolize your food, and make sure that you exercise as often as you can. But pre-diabetics means that please be wary. If you don't do what you should do, you'll become a diabetic. On a related point, Professor, uh, because we did discuss this on a previous talk show, how anxiety and stress about the virus has been putting people under so much of stress uh, that it's causing various and multiple muscle spasms. So, does that exercise and that healthy eating regime help towards avoiding that, that situation from happening? To some extent. To some extent. You know, what's important is that one of the major issues, if we look at previous pandemics, far back as the Spanish flu, if you look at these pandemics, you'll find that one of the biggest problems post the pandemic is mental health. During the pandemic, people are losing their jobs. People have a a lot of stress about the fact that a relative has died or somebody has died and somebody is positive. So that stress is going to decrease. Every time you have stress, no matter what the cause of stress is, that stress is going to predispose you to decreasing your immunological response. So it is very important in this condition, in this time, for you to actually be very relaxed, to follow instructions, but if you are predisposed to depression, anxiety, whatever, I think it's very, very important to treat that concurrently with the COVID infection by seeing your doctor mm. and letting your doctor prescribe something to you. Because what we are scared of, and I might as well tell you this, is that post-COVID, the second wave post-COVID, besides the chronic illnesses, will be mental health. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, we, it's prevailing because I, I can tell you from even a message that we received, Rani uh, from Stanger Manor says, being diabetic has me extremely nervous to even leave my gate since the outbreak of the virus. We are treading very cautiously. 
Yeah, certainly. You know, I, I think the, the issue of anxiety um, and being concerned is very important because we're dealing with a very unknown virus. You know, it's the same virus that causes flu. It's the same virus that's caused previous pandemics. But this particular virus strain has never occurred before. We don't know what the aftermath of this virus is going to be like. We don't know how long the virus is going to last. We're not even sure if the virus will disappear. So if you if you have the opportunity, one, to contain the virus, to manage your illnesses that you have, I think it's very, very important because until we have a vaccine in place, this virus, the only remedy to control this particular virus or contain this virus is going to be managing the present illnesses and con- con- following very, very strictly things like social distancing, washing your hands, uh, wearing a mask, not going into public domains. And I think it's very important that we just all have to be extra vigilant. Definitely. We can't prioritize that any more that we have already been doing uh, so. And I think, you know, by us, you know, advocating this and having South Africans advocate the same helps so much more. Uh, Professor Roslin says um, that she's just recovering from COVID-19. She was tested positive on the 28th of June. She took a month to recover because of being uh, asthmatic and as well uh, diabetic. And she says she's still having shortness of breath and dizziness and a high pulse rate of 120. Yeah, I, I think if she's in that particular state, she needs to see a doctor because, you know, the virus in this period that she's had it from the 28th to now, the virus is, if I put it very colloquially, is dead. The virus is dead. But the aftermath of that virus on this particular person could be seen in the fact that her illness is being protracted. Uh, if she's not feeling 100% better, she needs to go and get medical help for her particular condition. It is, we, we often have a philosophy of we have belief that I've been there, I've been in quarantine, I've been in isolation, and therefore I'm okay. Yeah, yeah, you're okay with, in terms of, having a virus that's now not infective. But the aftermath of the virus on your entire body may still be there. So my advice would be she needs to get medical help and not try and treat mm. herself on your own at home. Which is what many people have been doing, you know, and it's something I, I honestly want to know from an expert point of view. Does the the remedies at home help? Does the every morning cup of ginger, lemon and uh, honey tea work? Does it give you a, the best chance uh, at, you know, recovery or the best chance of not contracting the virus? You know, right now there's no scientific evidence. There's no scientific evidence. But the philosophy that we espouse is, if you're taking something and it's not toxic to you, carry on taking it. But don't go out of your way to go and get it. That's, in, that's the first thing. The important thing here is that for you to manage this virus, you've got to eat properly so that your immunity is up. You've got to drink a lot of liquids so that you don't get dehydrated. And you've got to rest. But the various home remedies... I would not say don't work, but I would say that continue on it if you are taking in it, but I wouldn't say that there is evidence to show that one is better than the other or the combination of all three will give you a more Mm. cumulatively better effect. But it's very important because the same question comes up with what vitamins should I take? Yes. And, you know, disappointingly to me, a lot of people are going out and getting... um, Vitamin drips. Uh, if you're eating healthy food, when I say healthy food, you're eating properly. You're eating, you should be getting a good balance of vitamins. Mm. But if you do want to go and get some vitamins, the ones that have shown to help your immunity are vitamin D, vitamin C, and zinc. Now, a lot of food we eat, like leafy food we eat, has zinc in it. But if you do want to go and get, those are the three that right now have shown to have some um, effect on improving your immunity.
So, you know, it's, it's brilliant because we have so many times we have uh, during conversations with families and friends, you know, they always say, uh, always boost, always make sure you have your zinc, enough of your vitamins. So it's good to get this advice coming through from you. Um, there's so many uh, voice notes and so many messages coming through. And I just also want to say that um, we are going to make time to get through to as many questions and voice notes as, as we possibly can. This is one that is... Um, I wouldn't say bizarre, but it's the first time we've come across a question like this, Professor. Simi says her husband is a diabetic. Last week, he had lumps in his palms and it itches and it pains as well. And now it's gone to his um, head and his eyes. She says he has been to the doctor and was told that it's due to the hand sanitizer. uh, And she just she needs some advice desperately. You know, the fact that it started in your palms of your hand um, would would relate to the fact that it's from the sanitizer because it is what we call a a surface infection or more what we call um, a reaction which is topical. Now, mm. the fact that it's going to the rest of his body, I think he needs to get checked. I'll tell you why. As the science of this virus is evolving, we're finding that more symptoms are being isolated. And recently, skin rashes and skin inflammation has been shown to be a very rare form of this virus um, presenting. It's not a typical form, but it's a very rare form. So I would think that if they were not, first of all, if they were not using one of these um, sort of recommended sanitizers, it could be due to that and they could be getting a, an infection. Mm. But, you know, speaking telephonically to anybody, the very fact that maybe now seeing skin irritation and rashes as being a, uh, a rare but a presenting symptom, I would think that she should go and get a subject. So that's the advice to me. Uh, you know, second opinion always helps. Go and get yourself and your husband uh, as well checked. Uh, that's also coming through from Professor Morgan Chetty. Professor, sorry, you mm-hmm. said the hands. You know, and, and the first thing that comes to my mind because it starts in the hand, it'll be a thing which we call contact dermatitis. Right? It's a contact of your hand to a a toxic material. But the fact is, it's gone now to other parts of the body. Mm, the eyes. Right. Will, will necessitate having it checked. Okay, perfect. That's the, the opinion coming through from our expert, Sami. So uh, we hope you can heed to that. Professor, you know, we, we often we get so concerned um, and it's a common thread that comes through even from our WhatsApp about I'm concerned about my elderly mum or dad and um, they have a pre-existing condition and, and, you know, it's scary for many children and grandchildren. But what about, um, you know, if you're younger than 59 years of age, let's say, and you also have a pre-existing condition, are you still at a high risk or, or does it, you know, give you a little bit of a reduced chance of going through the same thing that somebody that's over 59 years of age would? You, you know, age is just being used as a, a way in which you can um, increase your vigilance on somebody. If you're over 60 there's a higher chances of you having comorbidities. And as you get over 60 and as you get older, your your immunity decreases. So I think that's been just used as a yardstick. If you, it, irrespective of your age, if you have a comorbidity, you are at risk. Your age is not going to prevent you from not being at risk. So everything we said earlier on about the fact that comorbidities tend to decrease your your immunity and exposure to these infections would be pertinent to people under 59, irrespective of your age, if you have this. I'll give an example. We are now seeing in medicine lots of 35 and 40-year-olds with very severe type 2 diabetes, uncontrolled type Mm. 2 diabetes. The very fact the person is 35, the age is immaterial. What's important here is that he's got an uncontrolled comorbidity, uncontrolled pre-existing illness. That puts him at risk. So I think age is just a, 
uh, um, a method for us to divide those seriously risk and those latest risk, what then brings everybody to the same platform of vigilance is how bad is your comorbidity and how well is it managed. Mm, definitely. We're going to go on with this conversation, Professor, because there's so many leading questions from what you're saying and also the questions that's coming through from WhatsApp. I'm going to give you a little a short break to breathe. Uh, we are talking to Professor Morgan Chetty, specialist family uh, physician. I'm loving this conversation. I could go on, in fact, with Professor for days about this. And I know so can you because we're receiving so many messages. Uh, Professor, I'd love you for you to stay on the line because I'm going to go through some of the uh, WhatsApp voice notes that we're receiving. Um, this one coming through from Salim Adam. A good day, Lotus Twin. This is Salim Adam. Corruption has reached an unbelievable level. Every sector of government is being looted. Well, that was uh, one voice note coming through from Salim Adam regarding the corruption that we're going through. Let's go and let's hope these ones are uh, regarding the topic that we're discussing now, which is uh, COVID-19 and the pre-existing conditions that come along with it. Salvin Governor also sent us a voice note. Hi, hi, Teresa. Good afternoon to you. Once again, thanks to Lotus for creating awareness for our community. I have a very straightforward, basic question. There's words going around that Kososana Glamini Zuma, son, manufactures cigarettes. And okay, so Selvan, we're going to get to that question. I'm sure, uh, Professor, we'll also, uh, just after our discussion with you, you know, we'll answer some of the uh, top story questions. I'll go to the uh, questions that we're receiving uh, now regarding this, um, the topic that we're discussing with Professor Morgan Chetty. Um, Jessica of Palm Ridge says her mother-in-law is diabetic and a type uh, 2. She's also asthmatic. What can she do? I think the professor did mention some of the things to do. Always eat healthily, exercise also helps. Uh, Jaya says that she tested uh, positive for COVID since 24th of July. She's at home. She coughs a lot um, and she says uh, she's okay for three days and then she keeps feeling fluish again and she starts coughing a lot. She has nose runs and burns and she says she's eating and taking her home remedies and vitamins. The cough makes her so tired and the tightness in her chest continues. Uh, Professor, any advice uh, on that for Jaya? Yeah, I think, you know, the guideline is very simple. If you tested positive, it means that you need to isolate. There are two ways in which you can isolate. If you're clinically stable, meaning that you don't have um, too many predisposing clinical conditions and you're stable and you can manage at home, you will self-isolate at home because remember that you will be only in contact with your doctor on a virtual consultation. So the doctor will not be there to see you all the time. If in this period of isolation, which is 10 days from the day you are tested, your condition is such that you are not making the recovery in an uninventful way, getting worse with the cough, chest is getting tighter, you need to see a medical practitioner because the next stage would be to put you into a facility with a healthcare professional who can manage you. You cannot be treated at home anymore because you are now actually not responding in an uninventful way. If you were at home for the 10 days and you had no other illness and you were not having a temperature, the cough was subsiding, then it's fine, you can stay at home. But I think it's important when you're at home that you should have been on a regular basis, on a telephonic or some other virtual consult with your doctor who's managing you, who will monitor you and then advise you that you shouldn't be at home anymore, but you should be moved into a healthcare facility. So that's very important because I think many people who may have tested positive uh, and, you know, they're doing the isolation at home, they're going through all of these symptoms and they feel like this is something that they should be going through. But you're definitely saying you should go and be admitted at hospital and have some professional see to you while while you're going through this isolation period. I don't say you should be admitted to hospital, but I think you should have a physical contact with your doctor. Because the doctor is, is, is talking to you telephonically on a virtual platform. He can't do m- much more than what you tell him, right? Which can be very 
subjective. I would say this person should make an appointment. Just don't go to a doctor's room without an appointment. Go to a doctor's room with an appointment so your doctor can expect you there. He can isolate you from other people in the in the waiting room and then consult you, examine you, and it may be nothing serious, he can send you back home. Yeah. But don't manage yourself at home saying that, I don't want to see a doctor, I don't want to go to hospital. I still don't think this person will go to hospital eventually, but I, I must advise that that person has a physical examination with his or her doctor. So, Professor, we're receiving many questions now uh, related to diabetes, and I think that's because we have such, uh, you know, a huge number of uh, diabetics in our community itself. Um, I have a, a message from Ian Govender who says, uh, you know, he's 77 years old. He has no pre-existing conditions. He uses gloves, masks. He comes home. Uh, he sanitizes all his purchased items, his shoes, his clothes, um, and he takes a shower. So he, he's doing possibly the right thing there. Um, Tulsi says uh, she wants to know, uh, you know, regarding being a diabetic, what should her blood sugar level be uh, in the early morning and throughout the day, just to know that whether she should be concerned um, that, you know, she's she's gone a bit too high and that she needs to now cut down on the sweet stuff. So what should be the average level for her? Yeah, you know, with her age, I would say the first thing is we don't want too tight a control. If your control is exceptionally tight at 70 seven or 75 years of age, you, you're very fragile. You can fall into either way. You can become hypoglycemic very quickly. So I said, in this period, if your sugar was even up to eight, nine, early in the morning, I would say that's fine. If you're a younger person, we're probably looking for six. But as you, as you age, and with this pandemic around, tight control, too tight a control, may predispose you to, to a hypoglycemic attack. If you eat in the day, always test yourself after eating. We would say at least once every second day or so, but many people test themselves immediately after eating. If you test immediately after eating, you're going to be testing the sugar level in your blood that is being due to the food you've eaten. So give your body a chance to metabolize that Wait for about two and a half to three hours and check your sugar. Your sugar should then come down to under 12, to closer to 10. Mm. That's fine. But if we had to go to optimal levels, we'll say everybody should be at six and everybody should be back at eight after two hours of eating. But I would say with your age as a factor, you have to take into cognizance that tight control may make you ill because it's very little that you can fall into becoming a hypoglycemic. So, you know, it's great to often monitor yourself but not be too strict uh, either on your on your controlling of your pre-existing condition. Uh, before we get to more of the diabetes-related questions that we're getting, Professor, I want to go through something that's happening, uh, let's say, in, in the various provinces. Um, I know it's been information that's coming through, uh, especially in uh, KwaZulu-Natal and Itikweni, where they have been listing the various hotspot areas which has many people frantic. I know many um, medical aid schemes as well have been sending out messages to their members saying, you know, your area has now been uh, identified as a hotspot area, which has sent many people into a, a moment of panic to know that, you know, what makes this a hotspot area and now what should I do regarding that? If, if we're talking about these hotspot areas, what should one know and how do we define this hotspot? That's the first question. And then what models and methods are being used to define it? Yeah, I think this is this is the most important thing. If we look not to South Africa or to Durban or KZN, if we look at the entire globe, the, the international society, the ideal thing for 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 COVID is for us to test every single individual. Everybody should be tested. We don't have the resources, nor would the high-income countries like Europe and America have these resources. So we're going to look at what's next best. And the next best is, how do we manage this 
pandemic or this crisis with whatever resources we have. So the system they've opted for is to look at those areas that have the highest concentration of infected people. So you have a population, and some people use five, some people use six per 100,000 people. If you have that number of people, there are five or six people, it becomes a hotspot. So what does it mean? It means government, the National Department of Health, the local Department of Health, can then focus their resources into that hotspot to prevent the infection from spreading. Now, let me just tell you why it's important. If you have one single individual who is infected, that individual in two and a half days can infect 2.5 other people. Those 2.5 other people can infect 2.5 other people. So it will continue in this fashion in which it's like a felt fire. Everybody can spread it. So if you contain that infection in that population that the hotspot is, you can then do your testing, mm. you can do your tracking, and you can do your treatment and keep that infection in that particular area. Now, I'll give you an example that what you need to do is, in addition to what I've just said, you've got to continue doing what is expected of you, even if you're not in a hot spot. But you've got to be more vigilant in terms of social distancing, using a mask, washing your hands, not going into public spaces. Because if there is no social distancing and no management of these few people in a hotspot, mm. one person in 30 days can infect 406 people. Wow. One person. So if one person has the potential to infect 406 people, can you imagine in a population of 100,000 what's going to happen? Now, I'm going to take this opportunity to tell you two things. Yes. That's why we don't want these people in that particular residential area to go out into other areas because you're walking into a public domain and you're transmitting the virus. So we want social distancing. How does this help you? It helps you that the virus does not move. The virus can't move. Human beings move the virus. So if you don't go into these areas and transmit the virus from one spot to another spot, the virus will be contained. Why should you wash your hands? And why, what I'm not seeing is people washing their hands for 20 seconds. The virus is covered by a layer of fat. It's called a lipid coat. Mm. You've got to destroy that lipid coat to expose the virus and the virus dies immediately. That's the reason why we use soap and water or washing for more than 20 seconds to make sure that if you did have the virus on your palm or your hand, wherever, you will be able to remove that envelope around the virus and kill it. That is the basis of why we say you should use a 70% alcohol-based sanitizer because the alcohol base damages the fat around the virus. So two things. is One is... We move the virus, and if we don't move, we will move the virus. Two, if we wash properly, we destroy the coat that covers the virus, expose the virus, and the virus dies. So when you go into the hotspot, besides the checking and the tracing and treatment, you've got to be more vigilant with your social uh, distancing and your hygiene protocols. I'm just still astonished by what you had earlier said, uh, and I just have to repeat this, just to make sure that we we spread this for people to know the seriousness. One person has the potential to infect 406 other people in a hotspot zone, which is, is just crazy to understand that how one person could spread this so vastly. And we've been seeing this in the numbers in how South Africa has been jumping on that list uh, to now being the fifth country in the world. So now we see what leads to the spread of the infection. Yeah, and you can only contain it if 
you have social distancing and other measures in place. Otherwise, you're going to do this. Um, and this has been mathematically calculated by modeling and by experts to show that this is not a guesstimate. If one person who does not follow protocol can infect 406 people. Professor, we, we just have uh, two more minutes on the program. I'd like to get through a few more questions as briefly as we possibly can. Tashmika says her grandmother is a hypertension patient. And if you can please give her a few tips on how she can keep safe from COVID-19. You know, hypertension for her, if she's stable, is not going to be a problem. The problem to be safe in, social, in, in COVID-19 is to do what we just spoke now. She's, she's got to maintain social distancing. She's got to use a mask. You use it very nicely, Elegon. The mask is there for I protect you and you protect me. That's why the mask is there. Washing your hands and trying, even in your own house, to try and stay a little further apart from each other. So I think if she follows those simple protocols, eats properly, takes the medicines properly, she will be able to protect herself from any harm. But it, it's based on the fact that a lot of this is based on the fact that it doesn't matter. And I'm going to say this now. Hmm. For the next, till the end of 2021, I don't think we're ever going to say to everybody, no social distancing, don't wear a mask, don't wash your hands. I think this is going to go on because what it's predicted is the COVID virus will stay endemic and will never disappear. And it's going to flare up every now and then. So until we have a vaccine and we develop our natural immunity, Every one of us has a responsibility to protect ourselves, to protect the members of our family, to protect the community that we live in. And it's not the government's duty or your doctor's duty. Every one of us Mm. have to stand up and work together towards this. Definitely. My final question to you, uh, Professor, with one minute to go. George in Johannesburg says uh, he asked this question about his wife. She's a diabetic and he wants to know eating takeaway or even getting a pie at the garage, uh, something like that. How risky is that for her? Can she continue uh, doing something like this, uh, knowing that, you know, she has a pre-existing condition amidst this uncertain period? Getting a pie at the garage is unhealthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's a simple answer. Simple answer. You know, I, I always say to diabetics, etc., just be careful what you eat out of your house. You don't know what's in the pie. You don't know how it is made. It's got a very high content of fat and all the rest of it. I would say just be careful about eating out of your home. You, you're better off if you were at home eating veggies or eating chicken, cutting down on meat, I mean, infrequently. But Eating correctly is important. Eating out of home is a risk. Thank you so much for joining us, Professor. Thank you very much for having me on the line. Not a problem. That was Professor Morgan Chetty, specialist family physician. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us on the program today. It comes away courtesy of the team led by executive producer Sama Patel and producer today, Rachel Vardy. News break. Lotus FM, powered by SABC News.